0: Have you ever felt like you had to jump through? Let me ask it a different way. How many have you felt like you've been jumping through hoops all week long? It seems that there's always something that someone thinks you should be doing, right? And there are some folks in life you can just never make happy No matter what. No matter how much you try. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, said this, By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. Let me read that again because it's pretty profound. When... We judge others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. So this whole teaching is pretty much going to be about God's grace and God's mercy and our faith in that and our trust in that. The Apostle Paul's letter as he's writing to the church in Galatia was written somewhere around 49 to 55 A.D. But the purpose of this letter is that the Judaizers, those who had saturated in the Jewish faith, they had been, and they kept insisting with these brand new Christians that they couldn't get to heaven without working for it. Some of you have come from religious backgrounds. And that was the case for you. You had to jump through hoops. If you don't do this, you won't go to heaven. If you don't do this, you won't go to heaven. It's still out there. It's out there in full force even today. If you don't have, if you don't speak in tongues, you can't get to heaven. That's a real popular one amongst the Pentecostals. There's a whole lot of hoops if you don't come to our church, of course, you can't be saved. If you don't go pass out tracts, you can't be saved. In other words, it's a system of merit. Merit salvation. And you can't get to heaven without working on it. Someone had invited a friend to Calvary Central not long ago, and they invited to come back or asked him to come back, and they said, no, Calvary's a little too restrictive us, Calvary Central is a little too restrictive. And if you've been here for very long at all, you know that there's not many hoops we ask anyone to jump through. That's just the nature of a Calvary Chapel. It is by faith and by grace alone in Jesus Christ. It is something that he has done for us. It is not something that we do for him. Now, I think, I could be wrong, but I think maybe what that meant was we don't uh, approve of this thing, (laughs) that we maybe not approve of that thing, or maybe we don't approve of that thing. But I can promise you this, if there's anything that's not approved of, it's in this thing. Right? Right? It's not something that's just imposed. And even the church in Jerusalem, as they took these issues to um, the head honchos in Jerusalem, they said, let's don't lay any more on these folks than, than is absolutely necessary. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But one of the biggies also was circumcision. And yet... They miss the point. You see, sometimes oh, God, God will do something. He will set us apart. He will, he will ask us. And we come to him and he goes, you know, this thing's not really good for you. And so we will get rid of that thing. And now we think that that thing becomes uh, an institution for everybody else. And that everybody else is supposed to do the exact same thing that we did. Or they're not saved. And so, and I get this. I mean, I understand it. If you stop and think about it, this was something that was given by the Lord to separate the people to himself. Who knows about all the hygienic reasons that he did this? But the point is that they were carrying it on and they were making it and adding it to Jesus. Guys, if we add anything to the Bible, it's wrong. If we add anything to Jesus. If it's Jesus and it's wrong. It needs to be Jesus and Jesus alone. So let me give you a little background on this. In Acts 15 verses 1 through 6. It says and and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren unless you are circumcised according to the customs of who? customs of Moses there will always be a Moses somewhere there will always be somebody that will say you need to do this so unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses you cannot be saved therefore when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they pass through Phoenicia and Samaria describing the conversion of the Gentiles, which that's really what their problem is. They're having a hard time that God's presented salvation to a group of people that they considered not much more than dogs. Isn't it funny how we can sit on a high horse? You know, yeah, I deserve this, but... They don't, they don't deserve this. That's really what they're dealing with here. Okay, and he tells them about what's happening with the Gentiles, and then they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So there's two there, right? Do this and this, or you can't be saved. You've got to have these things. Now, the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. Now, guys, I'm not saying that in Christianity we're completely free to do everything we want or anything that we want. But here's a vital, 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 extremely important thing. When we finally surrender and we give up and we become like that child and we say God I can't do this it's like he's saying that's what I've been trying to show you you can't do it without me you were never meant to do it without me And then when we fall upon that mercy and we fall upon that grace, we find ourselves doing certain things because now the power of God's Holy Spirit resides in us instead of our flesh. We're driven by the Holy Spirit and we find ourselves doing some of these things automatically. But it's a big difference between doing it when it's inside of you than trying to make it happen on the outside. Trying to make it happen on the outside, that's the whitewashed tomb. That's religion at it's best. Trying to make our way to God through jumping through the hoops. But you know what, some of the most critical people, they're the most judgmental people you'd ever run across. And you have to wonder if maybe they've placed these boundaries upon themselves. And so as a result of that, now everybody else has to do the same thing. But if you think about it, that's, that's a lot of pride. That's a lot of arrogance to think that everyone needs to be like us, like me, like you, in order to be acceptable to God. And thank God there's only one of each one of us. You know, think about that. Think about how much... I wouldn't want anybody else to have to go through the things I go through or you go through. You know, one's, one is enough. Okay, here's the result of that, the resolution. In verse 28 of Acts 15, it says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols... From blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its what? Encouragement. Encouragement. In other words, if you're gods, take a deep breath and relax. God's got you. If you've given your life to the Lord completely and fully, God's already done all the work. Now, are you going to instantaneously become holy overnight? Well, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that since it's God's work, He now views you as pure. In the reality of living our lives from day to day, growing up is a lifetime worth of work maturing is a lifetime worth of work some of you some of us we had a lot of stuff planted in us growing up whether that was bad parenting or whether that was just we know it was sin in general but we have a lot of things overcome and that old man seems to never die, does he? He always rears his ugly head, comes back in. A lot of people think that he comes in during the, just during the trials and the hard times, but oh no. When you're on the mountaintop, when you've just got the raise, when you just got the house, when you just got what you wanted, when things are good, looking good, man, watch for him. Watch for him. Because pride can be a, a horrible thing. So, they also preached to Paul that he was not a genuine apostle. You don't, you don't really count because you're preaching that all they need is Jesus. And by the way, you're not too pretty. <laughs> you, know, you, don't, you don't look real good. You don't really look like an apostle. And you were killing people that were Christians before. So, and you came along late. You know, you weren't among the first ones, so you don't count. But you know, I found in my life, when I failed to receive something that a brother or sister of God is telling me, it's just because I don't want to receive it and I don't want to change. So Paul was telling them the things that they needed to work on, the things that they needed to mature in, the things that they needed to grow up in. But Paul's going to show us in this Amazing letter that it is faith by grace alone that's going to get you to heaven. It is faith in Jesus by the grace of God that you and I are going to make it to heaven. But that's not a maybe. That's not a if you're good enough. That is a for sure if you've given all that you are to God. Notice I didn't say all your things, that, that's, that's irrelevant but you've given all that you are to God. Every breath is God's. You wake up in the morning and say, God, I'm yours. I may not be perfect, and I'm gonna make mistakes, but I love you. And I'm gonna do everything I can to change those things that need to be changed. Guys, you know that for some people, things are just hard. For some folks, we might take that For granted that two and two equal four, but not anymore. We might take for granted that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, but not anymore. Deception. Adding to what the Bible says. So, I hope that after this is over, you realize the liberty, the joy, the grace. And the mercy that God has for every single one of his kids. He's not this mean ogre God overlooking, waiting for you to do something wrong so he can pounce on you and say, straighten up, go to your room. That's just not the kind of God that we see in the Bible. Father, may you grant us your peace. May you grant us the wisdom of your Holy Spirit as we study your word. And thank you so much for Paul and the men and the women that you call to be separated. We thank you for your word, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul is introducing himself. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor working, excuse me, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil age that's important right now isn't it that means something more than it meant two or three years ago from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father and to him and to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. You're going to see over and over Paul's classic introduction. First, I want to, I want to point out a few things. One, he is an apostle. <laughs> That's what he says. There's no question. He says, I am an apostle. Number two, that it really doesn't matter what man thinks of him because he is an apostle at the hand of God, not man. We all want to be liked, don't we? I mean, isn't that what Facebook and all the other Twitter and everything else is all about? Now it's turned into making money, right, for doing little or next to nothing. You you know, we can understand that from a monetary point of view. But we all want to be loved and we all want to be liked. But... Paul wasn't liked in some places. You won't be liked in some places. You can try to jump through all the hoops and it doesn't really matter if you jump through 99 of them. If you miss one, there'll be somebody there to criticize you for jumping through that last hoop and not making it. That's just life. Because there are a lot of miserable and, and, and I'm not, I don't mean that as they're just a mis- miserable human being. I mean, there are a lot of miserable people out there. Their lives hurt. They're, they're struggling with things. They're dealing with things that we have no knowledge of. And maybe they don't even like to speak about anymore, but it alters how they perceive life and whether they give grace to other people. Third, Paul says his apostleship came from the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He says, I'm an apostle. Whether you realize it or not, whether people around me realize it or not, or whether I came in late, (laughs) I'm still an apostle. Guys, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ completely, you're a Christian. Whether you came in late or not, Whether you got scars or not, whether you are perfect or not, I don't know of a perfect Christian anywhere except for Jesus. And he was far more than just a Christian, (laughs) he's our God. So we need to be easy with each other, we need to be kind to each other. We need to show grace to each other. You take a look at this, it says it's addressed to the church in Galatia. Then we see Paul extend that Siamese twins, if you will, that greeting of the New Testament of grace and peace. It has been aptly put, you will not have the peace of God until you understand the grace of God. You see, for people to forgive us in this world, it has strings attached. I will forgive you if you say you're sorry. But if you don't say you're sorry, I'm not going to forgive you. I will love you if you do this or if you do that. But if you don't do those things, I'm not going to love you. I will love you if you will do things my way. If you see them the way I see them. But if you don't, we're going to have a war for the rest of our lives. We're so predictable. We need to understand that the only way you and I get to heaven is through God's love and mercy. That's it. I was talking to Harold this morning as we were coming in. I was talking to my wife. You know, when God's speaking to the church in Laodicea, he says, You know, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked, but you think you have no need of anything because you're all puffed up with all your stuff, right? Isn't every Christian miserable, poor, blind, and naked? So why was he so upset with the church in Laodicea? Because they thought they were something that they're not. Not that they were that. If they would have just said, Lord, this is, this is me and I need you. I, I need your help. I'm trying and I want to grow. God doesn't have a problem with that. But he has a problem with that pride and that arrogance that thinks we don't need him or we don't need his grace, or we don't need his mercy. Grace is unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. It is God's riches at Christ's example. It is not because of anything that you and I have done again, but I have to restate it's what God has done for us. It's when you and I realize that that we fall in love with it. And then it's no longer a chore. It's no longer jumping through hoops. Most of you, or quite a few of you, probably have some hobby or something that you love. Whether it's sports, hunting, fishing, woodworking, arts and crafts, nobody has to tell you to do those things. You just do them because you love them. You enjoy them. And spend hours, if not days, or maybe your whole life doing them because of the love that's in your heart for that. See, that's the big difference in Christianity and everything else. Everything else is religious hoops you gotta jump through. And Jesus says, no, there's no hoops. Just give me your heart. Just give me your heart. That's the big difference. Now we go to church because we love him, not because we have to. We sing praise and worship because we love Him, not because we have to. We pray not because we have to, but because it's our talking, our communication with God and our fellowship with each other, even though we're a motley crew. (laughs) Because we see the grace of God in that life that's been saved from what they used to be to what they're becoming. We don't need to go through the rituals, guys. We don't need to live under the regulations. You can have peace today if you understand the grace of God. Because the grace of God brings peace in a profound way. Look at verses 6 through 10. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ. To a different gospel, which is not really another one, because it's not good news, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. Excuse me just a moment. I'm sorry to interrupt this, but if I don't take one of these, I'm going to start coughing. Pastor Dan, did you put that cough up here? I don't know what it is, guys, but you can ask Pastor Dan. You, you're fine, and then you get up here, and yeah. Nah, it's not the flowers, are plastic. Could be, I guess. Okay, he says, but even if we, this is really important, and I've even got it underlined in my notes, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Anathema. That's harsh words. God loves his word. God preserves his word. When somebody comes in and distorts it and starts adding to it, you and I need to run. The sad part of it is, or the hard part of it is, a lot of us never really mature enough to begin to study the Word of God, or you have gone to a church most of your life where they don't teach you verse by verse what the Word of God says, and so it's hard to determine the truth from a lie. But there are a lot of preachers out there today preaching things that are not in the Word of God. They're just not there. And then he says in verse 9, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, it's important because he says it twice, any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Guys, isn't all marketing and all advertising directed to please men and women? I mean, all of it. You can't live without this big screen TV. And yes, you may have to remove a wall in your house (laughs) because it's big. But you will have the greatest TV in the world people come from all over the world to sit on your couch and watch the super bowl if you just take this product you will be attractive <laughs> i'm sorry but if you ain't you ain't and and no product no product's going to change that If you ain't got no hair, ain't nothing going to put it back on. (laughs) But all the marketing is to please us, to try to make us think we're something that we are not. We got to be careful because we're really susceptible. If we weren't susceptible, they wouldn't be putting millions of dollars into that. You got to have the right shoes. You got to have the right pants. You got to have the right shirt or the right blouse. You got to have the right barber or stylist. (laughs) Or you got to have the right makeup. You got to have the right car. Aren't you glad God loves you just for who you are? I love it. These people that preach a different gospel, they want to add to, or they distort what the word of God says. And they have the greatest success in the hurting or the wounded Christians. Let me say this again. They have the greatest success with the hurting or the wounded Christians. Because when you're hurting, you just want it to stop. Right? Right? So if I'm in pain and I go to a place and it says, "This pain reliever will take away your pain." what am I going to do? I'm going to click those buttons and I'm going to get some of that stuff, and I'm going to see if it'll turn me into somebody new. And it might, for a while. But it's been my case, my observation that if you find something like that, you're addicted. It will, be, it will be addictive and you'll have to have it for the rest of your life. And yeah, it might take away some of the pain, but it doesn't take away the reality of life. But please notice that the Apostle Paul says, it's not good news. It's not really good news. When you hear something, you've heard this a million times, when you hear something that's too good to be true, often it is. I still get calls all the time. I mean, I, I probably get two or three of these a week that telling me how much money I can get back from the government. Anybody else? Anybody else get those? Or just, yeah, it's out there. What's the natural tendency? Well, i fine. I, I mean, unclaimed. There's unclaimed money that belongs to you and you need to c- claim it now. He says that that kind of person, not just avoid them, he says they're, uh, should be banned. Anathema, religious banned, concretely excommunicated, a thing or a person accused, exed out. Don't have anything to do with them. And yet we entertain them. Because sometimes these guys are entertaining, because they tell us what we want to hear. Some of the radio and TV evangelists, people listen to them because they tell them what they want to hear. They'll go from one topic to another topic to another topic to another topic to another topic, topic, and every one of those topics is to encourage people that they're amazing. There's only one that says, no, you're miserable, blind, poor, naked. (laughs) But I love you with all my heart. And I can do amazing things in your life if you will just allow me to. Look at verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. And he says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, me more. More so, I more so, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I had a lot of zeal. I was persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. But how many of you figured out you can't obey the law? because you always miss something. I would bet that there's not a person sitting here today that has not gone over the speed limit at one time or another. Whether intentional or whether accidental. I would venture to say there's not a person sitting here that hasn't got violently angry at somebody at some point in time in their life. Maybe you didn't carry out the violence, but in your brain you wanted to kill them. Or maybe not kill them. Just beat them up and disfigure them. Throw them in the trash can. You you know what I'm talking about. You know what that means? We're all guilty. You You can't get there by the law. You just can't get there by the law. Paul's saying, if anybody is the man (laughs) and has stuff to brag about, it's me. He's talking to his Jewish brethren here and what they're trying to pass on as part of the Bible, part of the word, or what people need to do, the hoops that people need to jump through. And he's saying, you know, guys, you're putting me down, but I I got some pretty substantial credentials here. And I wasn't given this ministry by man. It's a God thing. And you know what? I'm firmly, I firmly believe that God's got a mission for every single one of us. Now, don't get grandiose on me. Don't think, okay, Billy Graham's dead. Maybe that's me. Sister Teresa is dead. Maybe that's, you know, somebody needs to follow in her footsteps. No. Your mission, what God's called you to be, what God's called you to be. Some of you, it may just be being good dads when you didn't have one. For some of you, it may be just being a good mom because you didn't have one. Maybe for you, it's just being a friend because so many people have treated you so poorly in life. It's not a man thing, it's a God thing. He's saying, as a man, I, ex- I uh, exceeded all the things that you guys think you are when you think that you're good Jews. I lived and I breathed the law. But even with all that, you know, being so pious, God knocked me off my path on the road to Damascus. He just knocked me off my path. Here I was set out to do the will of God, so I thought, and God said no. in fact, He didn't even know who God was. When God interrupted his life, he didn't know who God was because he had been bathed in the religion. He was doing his religious duty, but he missed God. You can be as religious as you want to be and miss Jesus, miss God, miss that grace and that love and that mercy and that forgiveness of God. You can miss him, you can miss him. So he says, you know, God knocked me off that path and he blinded me and it was him that gave me the gospel and it was he that trained me. In fact, he didn't really start his ministry until quite a while after that time frame because, as we've already said, you may get saved, but it takes a little while to grow up, to learn. Galatians 1.15-17, he says, but when it pleased God... Who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his what? His grace. Called me through his grace to reveal his son in me. To reveal his son in me. He didn't say to reveal me. To reveal his son in me. That I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. He's saying God did all of this and then he took me to the backside of the desert to train me, to teach me, to help me get rid of some of those old prejudices, those old things I had been taught, the things I was raised with, and some of the things we've been raised with were awesome, but some of them maybe not. My thought pattern of thinking I'm better than somebody else just because I this or because I do that. No, we're not. So God takes him and trains him. He did the same thing with Moses, right? Takes him on the backside of the desert and trains him there. And he does that with us. We come to know him and then he trains us. He teaches us. He allows us to grow. And then when he was done, he headed for Damascus. Turn to Acts 9.20 if you would, please. Acts Acts 9.20. And then it says he went into the synagogue immediately. He preached the gospel in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed, Acts, excuse me, Acts 9.20. I'm, I don't know if I said Acts 20. Acts 9.20. It says, so then all who heard it were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? They didn't trust him. This is the guy who killed Christians. Has he snuck in? By the way, I've read a couple articles recently where the FBI is starting to come into churches secretively just to see what they're saying, just to see what they're doing, see what they're preaching, to see if we're threats. And I, I don't think that that's too far beyond belief. So here they are. Paul's infiltrated. (laughs) Paul's infiltrated the church. They think he's trying to pretend to be a Christian so he can gather evidence and then he can haul them off to those who can do them harm. 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul For they watched the gates day and night to do what? To give him a (laughs) ward. They wanted to kill him. Folks, if you're looking to be popular when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you might as well give it up. You're not going to be. In fact, if you are, it almost makes you wonder why. Because when you truly give your life to Jesus Christ, there's going to be people... Who oppose you because you are simply a Christian, because you have hope, because you've been saved by the grace of God, and now you have power in knowing that it's not about you, but it's about Jesus Christ. That's the most powerful force ever, is God. And you are a threat. How can you smile when you're going through such heavy duty things? How can you smile when the world is in the condition that it's in? That's power, guys, because of God, because of Jesus Christ. And we know, we've read the book of Revelation, haven't we? We know where it's headed, whether it's this generation or the next or the next. We don't know that, not for sure. But we know where it's headed. So they want to kill Paul. 24, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. That's the reward. (laughs) Some people, even in your own family, are going to dislike you because you love Jesus. You've broken the family traditions because you know you've been saved by God's love and God's mercy and God's grace and you just don't fit in that or jump through that hoop that they wanted you to jump through. So they let him down in a basket. But he preached the gospel. They didn't... Okay, let's just go back to 30. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus, then the churches throughout all of Judea. Galilee, Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord. Now that fear doesn't mean fear like we mean fear. It means respect. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Comfort of the Holy Spirit. Guys, if you've ever had that holy that, that experience where the Holy Spirit rushes in and comforts you when there's no comfort to be found. Man, oh man, oh man, what a glorious thing that is. All right, Galatians 1, 18 through 24. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him for 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. I've never heard that one before. So, shh. You know what? I'm, am t- I'm gonna. Yeah, God said it's time. It's it's time for me to shut up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. I've even got it on silent. and I got all. Yeah. All right. I get the hint. I'm going to wind this down. <laughs> All right. We went up to Jerusalem. Look at verse 20. Now concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I don't lie. It's sad that he even has to say that. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was, no, I was unknown to the face of the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only... He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy and they glorified God. Here it is again. God in me. Now I know this is a blow to our ego, but if God does something amazing in you, it's God. It's God that's done something amazing in you. It's not you, it's not me. It's God working with many, many obstacles (laughs) to do something great in us. So in the next study, we're going to see Paul explain this trip to Jerusalem and the verdict that was handed down from the elders regarding it. And we kind of saw that already. You know, don't lay any more on them than you need to. John Corson, I got a quote here from him, and I thought it was pretty cool. He says, in 1 Kings chapter 13, a young prophet burst onto the scene, found Jeroboam standing before an altar he had built to worship idols. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, upon this altar shall the bones of your prophets be burned. And this is a sign, this altar will split in half. Upon hearing this, Jeroboam stretched out his hand and ordered the prophet seized But as he did, his arm became paralyzed. At that moment, the altar did indeed crack and Jeroboam was filled with fear. I repent, Jeroboam cried. Please pray for me. The prophet complied and Jeroboam's hand was restored. Come to the palace, said a relieved and grateful Jeroboam, and I will give you food and clothing. And the prophet said, I can't. I can't. God told me very plainly that I was only to deliver the word and then return to my people. On his way home, he was met by an older prophet who, having heard what had transpired, he said to him, I heard about what happened with Jeroboam. Come to my house and have dinner with me and we'll talk about prophet stuff. I can't, said the young prophet. God told me I'm to go back to my own people. The old prophet said, well, I've been a prophet longer than you, and an angel came and told me to tell you you're to come to my house. Finally, the young prophet gave in, and he accompanied the older prophet to his house. And in the middle of the meal, the old prophet began to cry. Oh, what's wrong, asked the young prophet. He said, you're gonna die. why? You shouldn't have come here. You should have obeyed God. Why did you listen to me? The word of the Lord came to you, young man. And the word that came to me is that when you leave here, a lion will devour you. And sure enough, as the young man hurried home, a lion attacked him and killed him. And John Corson says this, if you know the word but listen instead to a seemingly older or wiser so-called apostle or prophet who says something contrary to the word, like the young prophet, you will be eaten by the roaring lion that goes about seeking whom he may devour.